Hi, this is Josh from Tabletop Journeys. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this episode before you hear it. This is the second part of the backgrounds episode that we began last week. And the backgrounds conversation that Liwanika and I had was one of the first or second conversations that we recorded at all, uh, really before we knew anything <laughs> about putting together a podcast. Uh, and so I think that uh, you would agree that the audio quality in this episode is not fabulous, but the conversation that we're having is really, really good. And so we really wanted to share these episodes with you. I hope that I can get a little bit of indulgence from you uh, for the audio quality this week. As well, just like last week, there will be conversations in this episode that deal with PTSD. So if that is something that you are sensitive to, I want to make you aware of that before you played the episode. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope that you enjoy. Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventure. All right, Lee Now you said that you wanted to talk about Mechton a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so uh, along those same Robotech lines, I'm a big fan of anime, uh, specifically early '80s anime. And in the '90s, sometime after Palladium lost their license for Robotech, uh, another game system came out, and it was basically designed to be the game for anime. The first and most memorable thing I remember about the game was this life path system. And if everybody who's been listening remembers me talking about life paths with the 3.5 Hero Builders, this is why I didn't go into a, lot, a ton of detail with it, is because I think Mechton does it better. Mechton as a game was done and came out in 1995. So it's been around for a very long time. And uh, the background was so important to them, it was on page three of the book. Like before it taught you how to roll stats for your character, it taught you about building the background. Proof that placement is everything with the game. This was important. Yeah, I mean, 13th Age does the same thing. The entire concept of background and who you are and what faction you align with and what your 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 unique truth is, it's not the first chapter, but it's the second chapter. The tables are actually very similar to 3.5. So similar, in fact, that if someone told me that a writer on this is one of the creative talents behind the, the Hero Builders Guide, I would not be surprised. It's that similar. But they did something that that three that the 3.5 game didn't do with it. They actually made these things have mechanical weight. When this game gets into its life paths, there are things you can roll that impact your starting cash. They impact your starting stats. You actually rolled for a number of years between starting age and the age of your character. So you and your DM would decide how old your character would be. That may be five years after you, after starting age, say 15, or it could be 10 years after. And you would roll for each individual year in your life path. And you could end up with great wins. You could end up with flavor things. Some years are just boring, not much happened or whatever. But every roll 
led to other roles which could lead to things like having an enemy and what that enemy would do to you. Like, you could have an enemy, but that enemy might just be annoyed with you and pick on you if they saw you. You know, your high school bully still bullies you when you go back for the reunion. <laughs> it could be an enemy that now owns a mega corporation that sends assassins after you whenever they have have a need. That escalated quickly. But in addition to what they're willing to and the amount of forces they have at their disposal to impact your life, they also have tables for the why they're your enemy and the why they're that way. So are they your enemy because you stole their luck? Are you their enemy because you killed their love? Are you their enemy because you were great friends and you they felt betrayed? These are all options that can be rolled out when you go through these various tables. So you're building in villains. And I always love this because playing a sandbox campaign, if you've got four or five people that are doing this, I don't need to build a bad guy. Their life path builds the best bad guy's for me. Yep. Yep. Now, I can, no matter where they go in this campaign world, I have a bad guy that matters to the party. Yep. Even if it's only one member, it matters to that party member. And now, because they're all part of the same party, it matters to them. It, and, and it has this fate. If they have to rescue somebody, it's going to be a family member that has some life path event that matters. Absolutely. All these things have this resonance that carries on through the game. Uh, that continues to carry on through the game. Yeah. I really loved about the Nikon Life Path so much so that basically until Hero Builder's Guide came out almost 10 years later, every role-playing game I ever ran as a storyteller or DM, I used these Life Paths for, for backgrounds for, for player characters. Yeah. Even when I was creating and storytelling uh, for live action, uh, my, my the best game I ever I ever did in live action as far as running it, uh, Shadows of Power was a fantastic game. Over almost ninety two, I think it was at one point one hundred and five separate characters. One hundred percent of those characters I wrote. A hundred percent of those backgrounds I wrote, though there were probably a ten to fifteen percent that I wrote with feedback from the person who eventually came to play the character. Every single one of those characters had uh, life paths done with this Mechton system. Yeah. Every single one. I simply reflavored things to match the world of darkness. Yeah, and we were talking about this earlier, about how both of us are running homebrew campaigns and how that ability to take a character's background and integrate it so closely into the game that you can pull various plot points out of that particular character's background. I mean, I think we talked about this in episode zero where I had a character in the game who said that he was a member of the Jewelers Guild in the kingdom that this is playing. My first instance was, oh, that's really cool. My second instinct was, oh, shh, I didn't create a guild system in my world. And now I've got this player that's saying that he's a member of a jeweler's guild. What is the jeweler's guild? And so it created this entire section of the backstory of the world that I had never even thought of about how, you know, the 
there are seven guilds and what their interaction is and you know that the that when um when this ruling family stepped up to go ahead and take over this particular kingdom 1500 years ago that the seven guilds got together and they fashioned a holy weapon that the that the dynasty now uses as a symbol of their power you know holy you know that kind of thing like that entire 5000 words worth of background material in this homebrew world that i'm making that none of the players really know on that level all was born from one single point in one single character's background saying that he was a member of the jewelers guild it is so very similar and when you were having when you had that epiphany slash heart-stopping moment heart-stopping moment when i messaged you like what the hell do i do with this do now do like you immediately got hold of me because uh, <laughs> i you uh zuckerberg and facebook i am yeah uh, because I immediately had an answer. And the reason I had an answer is I had my own moment with that about <laughs> two months earlier. <laughs> One of my players brought a character to the game. And this character came from aristocracy. And this character is a rogue, the child of a guild member, a Thieves Guild member. But she was raised by her mother and her stepfather, who are noble. Uh, absolutely loves her. She absolutely loves her dad. She was not even aware of her true parentage until much later. She, and, but she does work for her biological father, who was always in the know, always knew where she was, always knew that she was taken care of, so much so that some of the household staff in her childhood home are members of his guild whose sole purpose is to keep her and her mother protected. Yeah, keep tabs on them, yeah. Keep tabs on them, make sure they're safe, protect them from all things that could harm them that they're not aware of. So her biological mother has been watching out for her all along. That's awesome. Beautiful, beautiful story. That's beautiful. Um, and, but now she works, and she has so many traits that are similar to her, her father. Now, the interesting was the character was actually written for a different game. The player brought it to me and said, hey, I'd like to use this character. Where do you think it would fit? And so many of those traits matched up so well with the character that I had already I played as a player who I had met, was now using as the leader of this guild, that I said, that makes great sense. That's like a great story. Yeah. And my, the end of my playing days was this relationship with this woman who decided to go live with this noble, and because the Thieves Guild member wasn't a noble. Uh, and despite the fact that they loved each other, she had to do right by her family and stay with noble marriage. That was the, the Shakespearean element of their relationship. But their, but their love was still strong. So now faced with this new character that matched up with this old character so well, I said, let's carry Shakespeare to the nth degree. Let's do this. And so I just advanced, you know, advanced the years, built this into the story, set this all up. And I thought that would be fine. Like that was all the backstory I would need, plenty of background. I thought I was done. I really did. <laughs> this, this is my word of caution for you DMs out there. When you release the power of backstory to your players. Be prepared for the fact that it will, one, improve your game in ways you have never imagined, but two, you're going to find out very quickly that you're going to have these moments where it's like, oh, I got some work to do. Yeah. Within about two and a half, three sessions, this player says to me, he goes, I want to find out more about this other noble family. I'm like, okay. And gave me a list of questions that her that this player's character would know. Because, like, if I grew up in noble circles at court, 
I'm going to know this other fam these other noble families on a different level than your other player characters. I'm going to have grown up with them. I will have gone to events with them. I will know how the inner workings of these families. Add to that, I'm a member of a thieves guild who specializes in information about noble families. Right. So I'm going to have that deeper level of information. I have, since that moment, had to come up with a mechanism. And I basically created a character sheet for each noble family. As far as who they are, their parents, their children, their needs, wants, their goals, what's publicly known, secrets that they have. And I actually did three levels of secrets, depending on how successful investigation checks are made. It will tell you what level of secret you know about this family, uh, and, as well as the forces that they have to bring to bear, the resources they have to bring to bear, and their connections with other families, how well they get along, and what are the families right. they're closest right. with, what families they're enemies with. It was very theater-like in that regard. Uh, I was basically building a system that allows for the inner workings of the family similar in the vein of Game of Thrones and uh, the old D&D game Birthright, where basically huh. the noble houses became an issue or became of importance. 5e does that with its uh, Eberron setting and, the setting and the different house factions mechanically. But I had to kick that up to a degree because my game is a little bit more RP heavy. It's a little bit more politically involved. And the politics are informing the actual adventure piece. So this was a character who was getting the information to provide to the party who would then go out and beat the bad guy to benefit a given house or benefit the realm. So it became important to have this information on hand. So every other session, I do yet another noble house where I have this information. Whether I'm asked for it or not, I'm prepared for it. And that's something you got to be prepared for as a storyteller. you got to be ready for the fact that when people realize that they have a background, they know that NPCs have backgrounds, and they're going to start asking those questions. After listening to the recording of session one of the game, now, keep in mind, this is, a, this is a game world that I have had in various states on paper and in my head and everything like that for, for the better part of a decade. So I know this world really, really well. I know the interaction between all the various places, I, I, or at least I can, call, I can call that information up uh, in, in a moment by knowing where to look. After session one, I had five pages of notes of things that I had told the players that were brand new, brand new. And, and some of it was how a particular player interacted with, with a, a given scene that I gave them. Like, you know, because I do a really collaborative storytelling st style. So, you know, when the party walks into City X that they've never been to before, we go around the table and we say, okay, what's something about City X that stands out to you? One of the, one of the things that one of the players noticed was that when they walked into the city, there was a big church on the corner. Well, Okay, now I got to figure out what church it is, who runs the church, what's their interaction, how do they feel, like what you know, all, what god do they worship, what are their you know, what are their clerics like, you know, all this. But cheapers, man, you know, could you have you know, could you have like stepped in a pile of horse dung? I mean, that much simpler, much simpler for you to go ahead and do that. But that's you know, absolutely. But this is why we do what we do. <laughs> First of all, we talk about the labor involved and the amount of time and the heart stopping moments. Yeah. Important to know how much we live for those. Oh, people. yeah. When I talk about having to make those noble houses, I should add 
that they were so much fun. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, great noble houses. Yeah, and I talked about relationships. Honestly, I actually building one of the noble houses, who happened to be the house for what was the bad guy for most of uh, tier two for my campaign. We're just at, nearing the end of tier two. But what was the bad guy for the early stages of tier two turns out to now just be an antagonistic person, not their bad guy. Certainly not their friend. Um, but I built, in building his, his background, I built a connection to the party through there and i building out some of the other noble houses i filled in a background piece to other members of the party this has been such so much fun talking about this and kind of exploring uh in depth the concept that i think that you and i have both played with I don't want to say say casually, but we've certainly never sat down and talked about it kind of at this length and kind of exploring all the decisions that go into not only how you and I as players have made background decisions, but also sort of how we steer those decisions uh, for players that are sitting at our table. And so this has been really, uh, really interesting to hear and kind of think through with you. Yeah. Uh, I I love this discussion. I love having discussions about background. I think it's the... For me, as a player, it's the part I enjoy the most when talking about my character. If you ask me as a player to talk about, hey, what character you're playing, I would say within the first two sentences, I'm trying to get the conversation with that character's back. Like, yeah, something about whatever I'm about to tell you that will not make sense or matter if I don't tell you about the background. And I think yeah. that's very key to how I act as a player. And as a DM, I think if you're going into a city that I have built, if you know that city's background, it's better. Yep. If you are dealing with a conflict in a game that I'm running, that city's background is better. Uh, and, and I know that with Josh having been a player in several of his live-action uh, vampire games, uh, I don't think, Josh, you've ever DM'd me in a D&D game. Yet. Nope, never. I mean, so I haven't run a tabletop game. Other than the campaign that I'm running now, I haven't run a tabletop game since before I started live-action role-playing. So um, probably, I, I don't know that I have run a tabletop game since you and I have known each other, which yeah. is you know, oh, e- epics at this point. So we talked a lot about all kinds of game systems. So one of the things I wanted to make sure we got to in, as part of this background discussion is the current game that's going on right now, the current edition, 5e. In the bulk of the community, it has been fantastically well-received. Best-selling game uh, has all the accolades to go along with the popularizing this hobby. We've got movie stars and powerful people out there in the world playing this game on a regular basis podcasts. I mean, for those of us who are uh, big-time geeks of various uh, genre fictions, Will Wheaton used to run a podcast about playing D&D, you know. It, it even caused my wife to take notice when she heard Joe Manganello actually play, uh, <laughs> play D&D, whatever, because that, that made it, that made, that was something she paid, she noticed and paid attention to. So, obviously, 5e is important. We're a podcast in this uh, in this great space, this great creative space. So we're going to talk about five E. So wanted to make sure we got a chance to talk about backgrounds in five E. It is a major feature in that it is part of how your character gets its skills. A feature, though, depending on uh, your DM, 
it may not always get used often, or depending on the player, you may not think to use it as often as you should. The background has a feature which can be very useful in-game. Uh, something that players really need to use more, just as a DM, uh, as a storyteller, I will tell you, I think players should use their background features more frequently. As a player, I have to remember to use my background features a little bit more frequently. I think it's important to know. Um, but D&D 5e, the backgrounds are very, very mechanical. It is, the, I would say, the biggest separation from its predecessor editions is that everything with D&D 5e is mechanical in regards to background. It is, you get this skill, you get this skill, you may or may not get this tool proficiency, and you will get this feature. Um, the cool thing is it does allow for some fluidity it allows for you to generate your own where pick whatever skills you want pick from any of the features that's available and you have custom made your own background. I think that's a beautiful mechanic to make things your own. But it is just that. It is a mechanic. I don't think it informs the RP as much. They tried with the player's handbook to help us out a little bit. They give us those nice questions that you can ask your bonds, your ideals, and so on and so forth, that can help inform role play. I don't always think that all of them match really well. Yeah. Uh, there are some backgrounds, if you pick, the ideal questions are actually the same as, as some other backgrounds, so they don't really cover. It, if you take a Thieves Guild uh, or a Faction Agent, you get the same bonds and, and ideals as a Cleric. In, in the two 5e campaigns that I'm running in right now, I can't even tell you what the background of my Kenku wizard is, because a Kenku wizard is such a kind of specifically pigeonholed archetype anyway. Like, the Kenku have no creativity, and he's playing a wizard, like, who are not particularly known for their charisma in the first place, right? And so, like, a Kenku wizard, like, that's, they're gonna fit one sort of role in that. I... The other side of that coin, though, is in the other 5e campaign that I'm running, where I'm playing the charlatan rogue ship captain. His, his approach to the world and to the campaign that we're playing in is definitely informed by the fact that he has that roguish audacity that he knows he can't be fooled. He knows that he, that, you know, he has this, like, sympathy towards characters that um, he doesn't think, he thinks would be, like, negatively affected by his cons. But other than that, he has no problem conning you and scheming to go ahead and get what he wants. Like the whole um, the conceit of the world that we're playing in is that we're trapped in a place that we can't get out of, and X number of people are going to be able to come home by finding certain artifacts, right? Um, and we're finding these artifacts as a party. The first time that he realized that that is what was going on, he went to the leader of because it's kind of we have kind of like two factions in the party that we're dealing in. We have kind of there's a royal family and there's everybody else that's not a royal family, and I'm playing the ship captain. And so the first game, when I realized that there was this, that there was this mechanic that, okay, only nine of us are going to be able to go home, the first thing that I did was go to the head of the royal family. I sat him down in my office and said, listen, I'm the captain of this ship. When we get back, if nobody can pilot this ship, you will never get home. How many of the artifacts do me and my people get? And I'm going to start the number, if there are nine artifacts total, I'm starting the number at four. Yep. How important is getting home to you? And eventually, like, we negotiated and we settled on a deal. And I said, you know what? Fine. We will take that deal. 
Um, and every single time that we have found an artifact and it has gone to somebody else, I have gone back to the head of the royal family and says, I don't have my cut yet. When do I get my cut? That is absolutely informed by the background of that character in a way that the other 5e campaign... Now, yeah, he got all the mechanical benefits for being a charlatan. He's Basically, it's a swashbuckler build, and so he wanted all the extra expertise and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. And so he definitely benefits mechanically from it, but that background as, a, as the swashbuckling captain absolutely informed that decision in particular. It's interesting you talk about that because I'm playing in a campaign, and I think one of the two campaigns you mentioned is the same DM that I'm playing with. No, it is. And I play a Warforged Battlemaster. Yep. Who's a former soldier. And kind of leaning into that conversation we had about being a soldier and PTSD, something that I am walking a fine line with with this character because of some very specific things that took place in his backstory, is I'm playing a soldier who was designed and built for war, who had a very bad thing happen in war, and we are now many years after that, and he's go and where we are in the campaign now is he's going back to his home for the first time. To his knowledge, very few survived his last battle with them. I didn't. And in fact, the character himself, he didn't even think he survived that. Like I basically woke up ten, ten years later, being told that I survived it. Wow. And I, now I'm playing this character, and I haven't done it yet, but I've been slowly working in some trepidation about being back. Like, this is a character who I built who is very determined, distinct, definitive of purpose, but as I get closer to the spot where I fell, I am starting to act more nervous. I'm starting to act less sure. That's brilliant. I don't personally suffer from PTSD. And I do suffer with, not from, let me correct that statement. I don't have, I'm not doing that. That's not me. I'm not in that position. But I do feel a level of responsibility to depict a soldier who's been at war in a very specific way because of friends that I've served with, friends that I know, friends that are in harm's way to this day, friends and family members that have been in harm's way or are in. And it matters to me that that's done in a very specific way. I care very much about that. But at the same time, still being entertaining and fun and enjoyable to play. And I think there's a way to do that. So I am mildly nudging my character in different ways and having that maneuvered by role play with some of the other player characters in the game and it all stems from these lines in his background and specifically i have the soldier background i chose that option about being haunted by the battle's past or however it's phrased for that purpose it was something i chose and it wasn't until i didn't really have a good way to depict that until we moved into this and that's when i said you know what let's lean into that a little bit not a lot. I don't want it to be the focus of the character, but I think it's important to make sure it's there. It's part of this character. And I think it shows the difference between a Warforged program and a soul who happens to be within a Warforged. Um, and, and that makes a difference. So uh, background has this great ability to be powerful uh, and, and uh, 
show up. But that's always going to be up to the player, right? It's going to be how does the player take the background and make their character alive? And I think that really dovetails nicely into our next topic, talking about how does background influence... I think pregens and one-shots, they're separate topics, even though they're, they are somewhat related. The whole thing with pregens, it's that uh, analysis of the sheet and figuring out justification for the various stat changes. You know, uh, I'm not a big fan of pregens. I understand kind of where where they can be important, but I've just never been I've never been a big fan of them. I think that in a live-action setting, when you've got potential for 30 to 50 players, pregens become an eventuality because you've always got somebody that shows up and says, I don't know what I want to play. Just give me something. I'm just here for the night. And so like, pregens are, are kind of a necessity. But I've, I've always found that it's tougher to build a background. It's tougher to build a background from the character than it is to build the character from a background. I absolutely agree with you. What I found is probably the best exercise that helps my current tabletop storytelling was the exercise of writing the characters for shadows of power and that's when i took a concept of i'm going to build all these different factions basically the the the, um, the vampire uh clans and each of them and i'm going to build members at various levels within so I basically said there's a role in each grouping. The top, their muscle, their advisor. Then there's the, the doer, the rebel, and the new the newest person to that middle level. And then the ground guys who are just brand new. And then each of them had their servant schools subservience and right. whatever those characters might be. So I said, that's the structure I'm going to do for each group. I determined how many groups we're going to have. I determined which groups are going to be in power, which groups are going to be on the outs, which groups wanted to use surf powers. I designed that before I designed a single character. And then I said, because I had the head of each group perfectly in mind. And so I built each character as a pregen, actively pregens, because I didn't have anybody cast at this point. I had each of the roles and only their backgrounds, nature, and demeanor pick. Nothing else. But really, I did that for each of those groups all the way down. And I said, I'm going to fill something for each of these roles, and I'm going to find, using those skeletons, make them different from each other, even though they're fulfilling the same role. I then filled in all of the influences that every character would have. From that skeleton, I built the story of how they got those influences, how they got into that role, and I built each one, picking any other character or one other character within the group that they met and interacted with in their story, picking one person from a different group that they're allied with that they met and interacted, and then one person from an enemy group that they met and interacted with, whether yeah. or negative. And then I did that for every single character around. So you kind of started with like a superficial background, built the characters, then built the bigger background and how and built in the drama of the story based on how their interaction is. And then then took each of those skeletons, which are basically outlines at this point, and actually wrote a story for each of those characters that followed. Close to a year to write every character for that game. I had probably started casting that game, I would say, when I was about halfway done. At a certain point, I got to a point where I needed to cast to find out who the players were 
before I could go forward. And once I had the main cast, so basically the top three in every group is what I had casted, then I was able to fill in them and really add that cast member's personality within that individual story. And then everybody else became your standard pre-gen because it's like, hey, uh, I've got this game, this I've got these groups, and I could tell other players, like, this is who's living in the room. Would you work well with them? Would you want to work with them? And then uh, filled in the cast that way. That was kind of how I did it. It was a lot of extra work, but it was very fulfilling. But it did, as we're talking about, start with background. And it was all about putting that together. Yeah. Going back to Xanathar's, I, I did forget to mention this. And from time to time, folks, we record live. Sometimes we leave stuff out. Even if it's in our notes, I'm looking right at it. Josh was kind enough to highlight the item in Google Doc, which is literally, here's my eyeline. Can you see me? My eyes here? Camera? I try to help him, but sometimes he's beyond help. Here it is highlighted, and I forgot to mention a couple basic facts. Xanathar's Guide improved on backgrounds for 5e greatly. In fact, it's so greatly that it makes their background stuff even better. I didn't realize that for many, many years, actually fairly recently, that I found this element of them. I owned it for a while. And the interesting thing is the way they improved the 5e background system is they borrowed every single table from the 3.5 Hero Builders Guide. <laughs> yep. they, they took out a couple that I think were a bit extra or superfluous, and they kept the meat and potatoes. So all the same things I talked about, uh, as far as all these things, they're all there. Life path stuff, all of that is there. It's all in Xanathar's Guide. But they they did a neat thing, which I absolutely agree with. They tell you that some some things. These are guidelines, not requirements. So roll if you want, choose if you want, use what you want. Don't use what you don't want. Let it help you. Don't let it mandate for you. Is a really key element. A big point of variance, however, is. They add decisions, but your character has made at various points in their life, and the decisions are a small table, very similar to what already exists in 3.5 with Bond's Ideals and such like that, but they add your decisions in two different groupings, one by background. So while you were earning your background, here's a pivotal decision you had to make. Each one of the ones from the player's handbook, each one of those backgrounds, whether it be charlatan, acolyte, what have you, it'll have six options. It also does the exact same thing by class, fighter, rogue, whatever. So obviously it won't have Artificer. I would be interested to see if the new book coming out will have this for that. My guess is no, but it'd be wonderful if they did. Uh, and people out there in the community, let us know if you, ha you have either made one yourself or if you know of one out there that we can take a look at. Was, Absolutely. I, even if I'm not rolling on the table myself, I love looking at it, because sooner or later one of those ideas pops into my head and I'll use it. So yeah. if you see something that pertains to this or any conversation we have, please give us a shout, hit us up on the email, let us know so we can uh, follow your lead. That's a perfect segue. So here are the ways that you can go ahead and get in touch with us so that we can, uh, we can have this conversation. You can email us at ttjourneys at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Tabletop Journeys. 
or on Twitter at TT Journeys. Uh, you'll see that I am tweeting quite a bit about a variety of topics, including uh, last week when I had a total uh, fabrication uh, fail that I uh, I live tweeted for a while. So that was that was a, a good bit of embarrassing fun. Or you can go directly to the website tabletopjourneys.com, where you will see our blog entries and be able to find all of our previous episodes of the podcast. Lewanika, this has been a fabulous, a fabulous talk. I know that we went, uh, we went on for way longer than we thought that we were going to, uh, and, and I think you're right. This, this is going to be split into multiple episodes, and I think that is that's just fine because, uh, boy, we talked, we covered a lot in this last uh, chunk of time. If we didn't say it in this episode enough, I think we did, but I'm going to put it out here just in case. Background is important. <laughs> important. Let me say that again for the folks in the cheap seats. Thank you, John. <laughs> Background is important. Yeah. With that, thank you for joining. This has been Tabletop Journeys. In the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water. <laughs>